Well, good morning. I uh, hope you're all doing well this morning. My name is Jeff, if I haven't already met you. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my great privilege and honor and uh, honestly a lot of fun to be able to, um, to, bring the, to bring the word this morning. So this month, if you haven't already been with us, we are going through a series called Difficult Conversations. We're going to have one more week after this to, to cap off August. Um, and, you know, the last couple weeks especially, if you haven't already heard them, uh, check them out. They're kind of like a, you know, 100 mile an hour fastball straight down the middle. You kind of got to catch up with it or else it might blow you away a little bit. Today might feel a little bit different. Um, today might be a little bit more like a change up. It might look like a fastball, but it's coming a lot slower. But, you know, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit with whatever he wants to do here this morning. So in this series, you know, we're not trying to bash people over the head. We're not trying to make you feel bad. We're not trying to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. We're not trying to be, you know, confrontational for, con- uh, for confrontation's sake. But we are trying to deal with some of the more inconvenient truths of the Bible, some of what the Bible says about the hottest topics. And along the way, when the Word of God does its work in us, sometimes it hurts, you know? Sometimes, you know, the, 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 the writer of Hebrews, I find it interesting that, you know, there's, there's a really popular phrase that, oh, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Well, the writer of Hebrews says it's a sword, okay? He says it, it pierces to the division of bone and marrow, of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So if it's a sword, then it means sometimes it's going to hurt. It challenges our preconceived ideas. It challenges our understanding, our, our, our notions about who God is, about what he might do, about what he's like, about what he's up to in the world. And um, let me just do one thing before we really hop into it. If you are here in the building and you find that you 100% of the time agree with every single scripture that you read and you have no hesitation ever applying it to your life, it doesn't hurt at all, would you just like stand up now because you must be Jesus and you can just take us all home. We must have missed the trumpet. It must be time to go home. But um, no, for real, it, it, it hurts sometimes, right? Let's just be real about it. It hurts. And today I want to talk about how to handle it when the truth hurts, okay? How to handle being told that you're wrong, whether that's by the Holy Spirit in prayer, whether it's when you read something and it doesn't sit with you, or when someone else says it to you, okay? How do you lovingly and gracefully tell someone else that they're wrong, that something they're doing or something they're saying or believing or whatnot is not lining up with Scripture? Or how do you receive it when that happens to you? I want to talk about correction today. And there are a few words that the Bible uses, and I'm going to treat them as mostly interchangeable. Um, There's admonish, there's warn, um, there's correction, there's discipline, all that kind of stuff. They're all kind of under the same umbrella. So I'm just going to use them interchangeably if you'll bear with that this morning. Because here's the deal. If we're going to be the church, we have to get comfortable with correction. We have to get comfortable correcting each other. And trust me, I have a really hard time with that. And we have to be comfortable with being corrected ourselves. Because the church exists to bring the kingdom to earth. The church is not here to perpetuate culture. It's here to change culture. And over the process of that, we're going to get it wrong from time to time. And we're going to have to correct each other. So we need to talk about this. We're going to talk about what correction is and what it isn't. We're going to talk about why correction is important. We're going to talk about how to correct someone. And we're going to talk about how to handle it when you're the one being corrected. So part one, 
What is correction? I think correction is something that's easily understood in light of what it isn't, okay? So here's what correction isn't. Correction isn't condemnation, okay? The difference between correction and condemnation is that condemnation is final. Condemnation is me giving a sentence, me making a judgment, me saying, this is what's going on, this is where you're headed, boom, done, done deal. It's like a sentence. And you know who's allowed to give a sentence? A judge. And you know, between us and God, one of us is a judge and one of us is not, and you only get one guess, okay? There is not a single place in Scripture where the church is called to condemn anybody, okay? Jesus says, don't fear those who can harm the body, but fear him who can, who can harm the body and throw the soul into hell, okay? So sometimes I hear people ask, why is the church so condemning? I don't understand who, how people who, who preach a gospel of love and who are supposed to love everybody could be so condemning. I have two things to say to that. One, me either, um, because we're not commanded to do it. There is no place where we are allowed and authorized to do that as the church. But the second thing I would say is this. There has never been a single follower of Jesus Christ who has convinced God to send someone else to hell. Okay? I can't look at your life and say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing here. You're going to go to hell. Hey, God, this guy's going to go to hell. I said so. That's just, we just don't have the authority to do that. We're just simply not authorized to do that. Jesus said, condemn not or else you'll be condemned. Jesus said that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through him, the world might be saved. In John chapter 8, there's a famous story of Jesus and the, the woman who's caught in adultery. And, and when it's all over, Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. And it's really worth noting that, you know, when Jesus lays it all out, he said, let him who's without, the, without sin cast the first stone. And if you read the story, it says one by one, they dropped their stones, beginning with the older ones, till it was just her and Jesus. And there's a big theological takeaway right there that Jesus was the one without sin. Jesus had every right to throw that stone. But when he had the chance to throw the stone, he said, I don't condemn you. Now go, sin no more. On the other side of things, though, correction isn't coddling. Okay? Correction isn't just sitting there and saying, oh, let me give you a really quick slap on the wrist. There's, it's not a big deal. It's fine. You're fine. You want to know what Jesus told people when they didn't get it? He said to the Pharisees on a number of occasions, you're a brood of vipers. When Peter challenged him and said, Jesus, no, 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 you don't have to go suffer. You don't have to go die. You don't have to do all that stuff you're telling us about. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. When, uh, when, when Peter... Uh, actually, later on in Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells a story of him calling out Peter for something Peter was doing. So uh, they were in the church, and it was a bunch of Gentiles. And Peter was being all buddy-buddy with the Gentiles, and he was eating dinner with them and hanging out with them. But then Paul tells the story that uh, some men of the circumcision came from James. Uh, in other words, some Jews came from James. And when Peter heard that the Jews were coming, he gets up from the table, he goes away, and he says, I don't know, I was never hanging out with them. I'm not like them. You, you won't catch me dead with them. And Paul calls him out in the middle of everybody. He says, hey, if you are going are gonna to live like a Gentile and tell the Gentiles they don't have to live like a Jew, well, you're being a hypocrite because you are trying to be... Just read it. I've got it mixed up in my head. Just read it. It's in Galatians 2. 
But he calls him out, and he calls him out in front of everybody. And I really thought about making this whole thing just a kind of case study in the life of Peter, because, you know, um, I, I was in drama when I was in high school, and one thing my drama teacher told us is, if you screw up, just screw up big, okay? If you sing the wrong note, just sing it loud. If you, if you get the, the, the wrong line, just say it wrong, but say it loud, okay? And that's kind of the kind of guy that Peter was. He messed up big. Peter, or, uh, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Jesus also said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter underwent this, this whole thing with Paul, where he was called out. But what you notice about Peter is he doesn't let that get in his way. He doesn't let it wreck him. You know, Peter could have said, Jesus, you know what? If you're going to say, get behind me, Satan, I'm insulted by that. I'm offended by that. Forget you. I'm going to stop this. I'm not going to follow you anymore. You hurt my feelings. But he got up and he said, okay, I guess I was wrong. Let's keep going. When, when Paul called him out in front of everybody, he could have said, you know what, Paul, forget you. Forget you. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. But he said, okay, you're right. And he repented. He turned around. And Peter lived his life to the point where when he finally left the earth, he was being crucified as a martyr. And he said, hey, don't crucify me the way, don't crucify me right side up. I don't deserve to die in the same way that Jesus did. Crucify me upside down. Correction is caution. It actually translates to the word warn, but that doesn't really work with my whole alliteration thing here, so I'll just go with caution. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives this list to the church of all the things that they're supposed to do together, okay? Bear with each other. Forgive one another. Read scripture together. Worship together. And in that list... Paul says, admonish one another. Call each other out. Tell each other that you're wrong. And this is a word that Paul uses several times throughout the New Testament, but the context is always this. Someone is on the precipice of something that is leading them to death, something that is a harmful lifestyle, a harmful set of behaviors, and it's something that you do to bring them back. It's something you want to do to bring them back from the edge. Correction is important simply because of this. It's a part of the Bible's function, okay? Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3, chapter, six, or chapter 3, verse 16, he says, he says, all scriptures God breathed profitable for teaching, reproof, think evidence or reasoning or the, the means by which you prove something or test something, correction, which means to bring something to a right or an upright state, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God or the messenger of God would be equipped for every good work. It's right there in the text. The Bible is there to correct us. It corrects our hearts. It corrects our motives. It corrects our actions and our intentions, our hearts and our minds. And just in case you don't think you need that, let me put this in a little bit of context for you. If the Bible is the word of God, which we believe it is, and God is holy, he's blameless, he's ever-loving yet ever-just, he's existed throughout time and yet somehow outside of time. He's infinitely creative. He's the source of all things. He's eternal. He's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He spoke a word and the world came into existence. And he continues to speak a word and that's how it's sustained. If that's what God's like, and you and me here have bodies that can get sick, that can die, 
We have a hard time being in one place at one time, let alone being there on time, let alone being everywhere. We're people who have a hard time figuring out the instruction booklet from Ikea, let alone being able to build a a dresser or a desk from scratch on our own without any kind of instruction. We're people who find out that we're going to have a kid and we just freak out because it's like, how am I going to take care of a human? I can't even take care of myself. So if that's what God's like and that's what we're like, then it kind of makes sense that his word is going to read our mail. It's going gonna, it's gonna to clash with us just a little bit. Here's the deal. We've got to become comfortable with that. We've got to become comfortable with the idea that we're not always going to understand. We're going to, we've got to become comfortable with the idea that I can try and try as I may to apply scripture to my life and to walk it out faithfully, but I'm going to mess up on the way. I'm going to try to walk in a straight line after Jesus, but I'll probably come off one way or another at some point. And someone needs to call me out on that. Someone has to set me right, set me straight. That's okay. The second reason that correction matters is simply this. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Friends, quite simply, we just don't know what we're doing. And people around us don't know what they're doing either. And what's dangerous is that our culture celebrates this you-do-you mentality. And I know Pastor Joe's ran it on it before, but it's my turn. There's actually a book called You Do You. It's by a, it's by a, best-selling, a, a New York Times best-selling author. And can I be honest? I have entirely too much love for that mentality. And I'm working on it. Because it's so easy. It's just so easy to go through life and say, you know what? You take care of you. You like, you just, you do what you got to do, follow your heart, trust your instincts, all that kind of stuff. You just take care of you. I'm going to trust you for that. And I'm going to be over here. I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to just take care of me. Let's just not, you know, let's, let's not do anything hard. Let's just, you do you. But if the Bible says that the way that seems right to a man leads to death, and everyone's just going around doing them, then it makes sense that we're going to see a whole lot of death and destruction around us. You do you gets in the way of our evangelism. You do you runs countercultural to the, the phrase that's on our website. If you go there to vineyardrichmond.com, it says, come as you are, but don't stay that way. The call of the cross, the call of the gospel is actually you stop doing you and you do the commandments of Jesus and you teach other people to do them too. But that's not quite as catchy. It doesn't fit on a t-shirt. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't work in conversation quite as easily. It hurts a little bit more. But here's reason number three. We all just need a little help from our friends, okay? I'm talking about discipleship here. We need other people who have been through stuff, who can bring fresh perspective, who can, who can look at our situation, our problems from a different angle, who can provide some wisdom, some insight that we may not have thought of. Recently, my wife and I, we went on a road trip. It spanned 3,500 miles across the uh, northern part of the Midwest, Um, We drove for just shy of 62 hours over eight days, and we brought some stuff with us to, to, you know, keep ourselves entertained while we were the passenger, and we got this little 89-cent book of Sudoku from Ollie's down the road, and we thought we were going to do the whole thing. I think there's 150 puzzles. I think we did about four, Um, (laughs) but the thing with Sudoku is, like, if, if you haven't already played, I'll try to describe it quickly. The numbers one through nine go in a row and in a column and in a box. And they never repeat in a row, column, or box. So you've got to figure out, they they give you a few clues, they fill in part of it, and you've got to figure out the rest. Well, you get started on one, 
and it starts to click and you're feeling really good. You're feeling really smart. You're like, yes, five minutes in. I'm like a good third of the way done with this thing. I'm going to get it. I'm going to nail it. And then you just hit a point and you just get stuck. You just hit a snag. There's all of a sudden there's, there's, there's a, a, a number you can't figure out. And so you go through, you go one row at a time. Like, can I figure out the one in this one? No. Okay. I'll move on to the next one and on down the line. And then you go by the columns and you just can't figure it out. So what happens is, you know, I close the book, toss it up on the dashboard, say, I'll worry about it later. I get it later. I start to do it again. And I'm right back where I was. I'm just as stuck as I was before. And once again, I close the book, throw it up on the dashboard. We switch drivers at the latest rest stop. My wife picks it up. Boom. Just like that. She can just see stuff that I couldn't see because you just get stuck. Don't you? You just get stuck in your problems. You just get stuck in the stuff that you're trying to solve. And sometimes we just need someone else to bring a fresh set of eyes. We need each other. Part of the Great Commission is that as we go and make disciples, we are to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. And you don't have to teach somebody if they already know. But the way of Jesus is so counterintuitive. It's so opposite and other to the way that we want to do life that we need some help with it. Paul says in Galatians that the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other so that you don't do the things that you want to do. Have you ever gone through life and just feel like, I can't win? I can't do right. I can't do what makes me happy, and I can't seem to get it right in my walk with Jesus. Well, that's why we need each other. We have to be taught to obey Jesus. We have to be trained in it, like Paul tells Timothy. All the teachers in the house know that when you teach, you have to correct. Your students won't get anywhere if you teach them that two plus two could equal four, but three is fine, or five is good, or if you thought it was a if you thought it was a division sign instead of, a, instead of an addition sign and you got two divided by two equals one, that's fine too. No, you either have to learn to accept the wrong answer or you have to teach them until they get it right. Jesus says that the church is a city on a hill. It's the light of the world. It's the salt of the earth. The church is meant to be distinct, to be different, and we need help being different. We need help from each other. So how do we do that? Let's look at Luke um, chapter 6. I'm looking at verses 37 through 42. It'll be on the screen, but I'll read it here too. It says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And all the Pentecostals said, Amen. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you is where it gets good. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. I've got a few quick takeaways from that. Number one, check your motives, okay? Are you in sin management mode? If you, if you are on your way to correct somebody, what's your approach? What's your run-up? Are you going around with like a sin detector, like a metal detector, and you're just waiting, and it goes, beep, 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 and you're like, oh, I got one. I got a good one. This guy's got a real problem. I get to tell him what it is. I get to just tell it to him straight and make him feel bad. Or Are you looking at other people's sin and judging yourself by that? 
Are you looking and saying, man, I've got problems, but I don't have problems like that guy does. Thanks, God. Jesus has something to say about that, but I don't have time to get to it. Are you doing it out out of a place of genuine love and concern for each other? Don't miss the detail that Jesus gives at the beginning. A blind man leading a blind man, they're both going to walk into a pit. This is the point that Jesus is getting at. Is if we're on the way to a pit, we have to be able to see in order to get somebody else out of the pit, in order to keep someone else from falling in the pit. So point number two, recognize your own sinfulness. Do you recognize that you, just like your brother, are prone and vulnerable to sin? That that could be you. That you could be in the same situation that they're in. That, you know, maybe you've had people who have invested in you and, and poured into your life and have, have been guardrails for you to keep you from making decisions that are, that are leading you down a, down a path to destruction. We, do you recognize that they may need that? And that could be you? Do you recognize that you have something in your eye too? You know, the point of this is not that you have to be perfect and get your act together before you can help anyone. The point is you have to realize that you've got a blinder. The point is you've got to realize that there's something in your eye too, and you've got to deal with that. You've got to repent. You've got to first acknowledge it, then repent of it in turn so that you can help someone else stay out of a pit. Do you recognize that you can either push someone in or you can help them stay out of it? Do you see that that person is your brother, not an other. Ladies, I'm sorry, there's no good rhyme for sister in this case, so I had to go with brother. Number three, just help them. Just help them. Don't stand far off. Don't just call out sin where you see it. Don't just call out wrong thinking and wrong behavior where you see it and blast it on social media and criticize people from a distance. No, get involved. Help each other. The redeeming quality of this parable is that Jesus, at, at the very end, he says, hey, once you get the log out, you can go help your brother get the speck out of their eye. You can help them. He doesn't say you have to be perfect. You just have to recognize your own sinfulness. In Matthew chapter 20, 23, um, Jesus calls out the scribes and Pharisees for creating a burden for people and not lifting a finger to help them. At this church, we believe in walking with each other. We believe in bearing with each other and pointing each other towards Jesus. And if you see someone else who's wobbling along the way, you say, hey, let me help you. Let me help you walk in a straight line. And you can help me walk in a straight line too. We lead them to Jesus. If it's difficult to know how to give correction, it might be even harder to determine how to receive it. It's a bit of a balancing act. It feels kind of like a tightrope. So Strap in, we're going we're gonna to go through this. This is part four. I'm wrapping up pretty soon, I promise. Paul tells the Ephesian church that we don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by, 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 um, by crafty schemes and, and human cunning. We don't want to be tossed around like this. So quite simply, you can't listen to everything that everyone tells you. Okay? I really wish you could, but you can't. If we did that... We never stop just bouncing around to and fro from ideology to ideology. One person thinks this about baptism. Someone else thinks that about baptism. One, thing, one person says this about the Holy Spirit. Someone else says this about the Holy Spirit. You can't just listen to everyone. Because from a discipleship standpoint, you're going to have people who are way too permissive and who are going to tell you, hey, 
you know what, you're doing great, that's a minor thing, you don't have to worry about it, when it could really be serious. But on the other side, you're gonna have people who are legalistic and people who are gonna say, hey, I see those shoes, those are open-toed, not closed-toed. Hey, I see that you didn't button your shirt all the way up, you need to button your shirt all the way up. Silly things, I know, but you can't just listen to everything that everyone has to say. On the other hand, though, you can't listen to no one, okay? If we read Acts 2.44, and there's a, there's a whole bunch of other ones, but this is the one I chose. It just says, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. In other words, Christianity is a team sport. There's plenty of scriptural evidence for this. There's a book of John, but there's no book of John Wayne. There's no Lone Ranger theology. There's, no, there's none of us who God just dealt the perfect hand and we can just deal with everything by ourselves and we can just go it alone and say, I don't need your help. I don't need anybody else. I got this. I'm really good at this Christianity thing. To say that only God can judge me is a half-baked theology and it insulates you from criticism or correction because you want to refuse any sort of conflict. But we do not live in an anything-goes, you-do-you kingdom. So, here are a few thoughts on how to receive correction. Number one, check your ego. Friends, we have to realize that sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Perfection isn't our goal just because it's unattainable. Okay? Our goal is to point our feet towards Jesus and just take one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. That's our goal. You got to realize you're going to mess up. It's okay. I mess up. You can mess up too. We can't go through life thinking that we have something to lose. Either we're saved by grace through faith alone or we're saved by what we do. It's okay to mess up. You can't let correction wreck you. Number two, I got this from my wife because she's a teacher and they say this kind of thing in that circle. Assume positive intent, okay? In other words, give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, let me say this real quick. If you are calling Pastor Joe for the fifth week in a row and you're saying, Pastor Joe, your sermon was trash again. I could do such a much better job pastoring this church than you can. Then you got to understand he's probably going to stop listening to you at some point, okay? But if you have a friend, if you have someone who's truly in your corner who is encouraging and who is life-giving and who is nothing but great to you, maybe the Holy Spirit laid it on their heart to say, hey, you're doing this thing and I really don't think it's helpful. You're doing this thing and I think it's not what Jesus would want for you. Try to assume that they are coming from a place where they love you and they have genuine concern for you. They're not trying to club you over the head. They're not trying to make you feel bad. Try to assume that they love Jesus and they love you. Number three, seek advice and wisdom. If someone corrects you, take what they're saying, run it by a few other people. Don't just find people who would run into traffic for you and who will always go to bat with you and always take your side no matter what, but find people that you trust and who you trust enough to have them tell you the truth. Recall the story to them. Tell them what's going on. Be objective. Say, hey, Maybe don't even say the name of the person that called you out, okay? Just say, hey, here's what's going on. This person told me that I do this. This person said, you know, um, I shouldn't have posted that thing on social media or I'm not representing Jesus well in the words that I say, but here's what I said. This is how I put it. What do you think? Are they right? Try to see the other side, but don't go in guns blazing just trying to get people to take your side, okay? Number four, remember who you serve. 
you're not here to please everyone, okay? You're also not here to take everyone else off, but that's something else entirely. You are here to serve Jesus. Paul says that if he were still trying to serve men, he wouldn't be a servant of Christ. In other words, the two are just simply incompatible. They just don't mesh. So we run the correction by Scripture. Whatever it is that they told me, run that by Scripture. John says, test the Spirit. See if it's from God. Because He's the one that we're serving. Number five, this is my last point on this. Don't expect to ever be done growing. Okay? We are a work in progress constantly. Okay? I am 14 years into following after Jesus And there are things that I've been dealing with since day one. And there are things that I stopped dealing with in year five and they've come up again. And there are things that I never realized were a problem until the Holy Spirit decides to say, hey, I want to work on that. So don't assume that you're going to become the finished product on this side of heaven, okay? The will of God is your sanctification. Okay, that suffix, I-O-N, the yun part of that, it indicates action or condition. It's ongoing. It never stops. Creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. So keep going. Keep following after Jesus. Listen, when someone corrects you, all you have to lose is your pride. But that's part of the cost of following Jesus in the first place. So we have nothing to be afraid of. When Jesus came, he was right for us. You know, the Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Jesus died and he rose again so that you and I don't have to nail it. We don't have to get it right all the time. We don't have to follow the law anymore. But we are a church and we are moving in one direction and we're going after Jesus. And so he will use each other to challenge and to correct each other. And he doesn't just use people that are on a stage. He doesn't just use pastors of a church. He doesn't just use social media personalities. He won't just use your small group leader. He's going to use the other people in your small group. He's going to use your friends. He's going to use your family. He's going to use anyone he has to to get us to listen. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. It's a kingdom of righteousness, of justice, of truth. And like any good father, God corrects us and disciplines us as sons. Listen, if God didn't love you, he would never have to correct you. But he loves us, so he corrects us as his sons. So let's not despise that correction. We're going to move into a time of, uh, of ministry and of worship. So if you're here today and you need prayer, we have prayer people out in the commons area. They're standing behind a table. They're going to be safe, social distancing. There's hand sanitizer, all that kind of good stuff. We want to pray with you. If you're online, I want to encourage you, go to uh, vineyardrichmond.com. In the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little green chat button, and there are real people on the other side who want to pray with you about anything, big or small. Listen, I can tell you the story of a time that I refused correction. Find me in the lobby if you want to know. I'll, I'll talk to you about it after church. I can tell you about a time when everyone in my life said this was fine, but two people. And I hated those two people. And a year later, I had to come back and I had to say, I'm so sorry I was wrong. And I know you must love me because you were brave enough to tell me the truth. Because you let me hate you for a year. Because you love me. So listen, if you're here, maybe, you know, I I get a sense that there's somebody here who 
has been burned in the past by someone who is lovingly or lovingly trying to correct them. Maybe they did it wrong. Maybe they didn't execute it very well. Maybe they said it in a way that was really harsh. And maybe there's a wound in you. Something that's keeping you from following after Jesus with your whole heart because you you can't seem to forgive them. Maybe this morning's for you. Maybe you're there and you've been following after Jesus and you just think you're too nice to correct anybody. Maybe you just don't have the courage, the guts, the gumption to say, I don't think you should be doing that. And you want boldness. You want courage this morning. We want to pray with you. Whatever's going on, if it has nothing to do with this message this morning, we still want to pray with you. So I just want to encourage you. Find someone to pray with you. We're going to take a moment and worship. And let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so holy. You are so other. You are so beyond our comprehension sometimes. And you love us enough not to coddle us and tell us that everything's okay when it's leading us down a path that's going to destroy us. But you love us enough to send people to tell us the truth. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that because of you, we can have hope. Father, I pray for those here this morning that are suffering, that are, that are hurting because of, because of someone who corrected them, because of a word that was said to them that wasn't seasoned with salt and with, with grace. Lord, I pray that there would be freedom here this morning. I pray that redemption would come as we seek after you. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, the promise of life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.